0: for where we have conversations that didn't go really well or as well as we wanted them to and we spend a lot of time and energy on the back end of it, worrying, lamenting, processing, looking for opportunities to make things right or to create another opportunity, which in my case often has been awkward opportunities to say what you really tried to say when really the big idea here is, is what if we put that time and energy instead of on the back end of the front end to be thoughtful about what it is that we want to say in the moments that matter. So...
1: Selling doesn't have to be hard. You can have the confidence and the clarity you need to create and grow your dream business. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Healthy Steps with Nicole podcast. I'm so excited to bring my friend Dave Inglis here today to share with you who he is, what he does, how it's going to benefit you in your business, and Also, a little bit about how Dave and I know each other and uh, some of the really cool work that we are now collaborating on in the world. And I wouldn't even say it's the work that we're collaborating on. This is a movement that we are now a part of that we are, you know, putting out into the world in in a bigger way. So um, first of all, welcome, Dave. So excited to have you here. Hey, my pleasure. So
0: excited to spend some time with you.
1: Yeah, me too. And um, Dave is the CEO of a company called Threshold, and we're going to get into a little bit more about his story, how he started this company, why he started it. And But first, I want to talk a little bit about how Dave and I know each other, because I did just mention it a second ago. We are both official certified guides of exactly what to say, which means we know exactly what to say. You need to listen to us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Listen to us, and we'll tell you all the things and and I'll let Dave share on this as well, but we spent uh some time together in New York City a couple of months ago being trained on this work, and it's work that you and I were already familiar with because we know and and love Phil Jones and have learned a lot through the years from him, and got invited to this opportunity to be official certified guides of this work and uh it was pretty incredible having that time together in New York City with all the guides and and Phil. And now I'm just really excited what this means for my business, your business, the people that this is going to impact, because it's really incredible stuff that we are getting to share.
0: yeah, and it's it's really neat to an observation and something that I really appreciate about it is everybody's using it for different reasons, right? I mean, your your context is knowing exactly what to say when um, in a sales conversation to inspire and support women to be able to invest in their health, which is amazing. Um and my application is a little bit different. Mine is really around how do you know exactly what to say? High-stake relationships. And a lot of work that I do happens to be with business owners and their family and their team members. And how do we have those conversations to create an environment where we can grow really great families and businesses at the same time? And and you know, you and I are just two examples of of many great people who have been trusted to be able to teach and bring this work to the world. So really cool to be a part of the journey with you, Nicole.
1: Yeah, totally agreed. And, and that's why we're here now because we hit it off. I really enjoy you and what you're all about in this world. And as you said, I think it's incredible that so many of us are doing so many different things with this world, uh, with this work and how I use it and apply it with my clients is similar, but different for you. We also have, you know, real estate agents there that are a part of this that are using it with with their people. So Yeah, there's so much application to it. And that's what I think is great. Because every time I introduce it to people, I'm like, this isn't just for your sales conversations either. This is for your conversations with your spouse, your conversations with your kids, with your friends, anywhere that you are having important conversations, this work is going to impact how you have those conversations.
0: Yeah, totally, right? And there's there's a big idea behind a lot of this. Like you and I both have been in a position before where we have conversations that didn't go really well or as well as we wanted them to. And we spend a lot of time and energy on the back end of it, worrying, lamenting, processing, looking for opportunities to make things right or to create another opportunity, mm-hmm. which in my case often has been awkward opportunities to say what you really tried to say. When really the big idea here is, is what if we put that time and energy instead of on the back end of the front end? to be thoughtful about what it is that we want to say in the moments that matter, so.
1: Yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. It's like, um, I mean, one of our four four principles of what makes a good conversation, be prepared, more or less, right? (laughs) The worst time to think about what you're going to say is when you're about to say it. So be prepared and think of what conversations am I having day to day, you know? that i that i want to be prepared for that i want to and for me with my clients the context is hey you're having sales conversations that you know are coming up and you know objections are going to be part of those conversations don't you dare go in i always say don't don't let the objection overcome you be prepared for it so that you can overcome the objection so it's not even a piece or or a piece of resistance in that conversation so so yeah that's that's one of many important things to remember about conversations
0: i love that don't let the objection overcome you well I'm excited in the spirit of preparing for conversations. I intentionally didn't prepare much for this one because I knew there was a wide landscape you wanted to take us to. And I know that uh, between you and I, with Open Hearts, Open Minds, we can cover a lot of good ground today. So um, I'm happy to lean into anything you want to talk about.
1: Well, let, let's start with that then, because I want people to know you and 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 who you are and your work, because it's incredible. So why don't you share with us first a little bit about Threshold, and then I want to hear your story of how that came to be.
0: Yeah, happy to. So a little bit about threshold. We're a boutique coaching company. We really exclusively work with business owners and helping them manage the intersection of their family, their health set, and growing their business. You and I both know that the real threat to any really great business, it's not necessarily how we sell, where we sell, what we sell. In my experience, the things that quietly sabotage our best energy, our best focus, and our best efforts to build that business into what we want it to become, come from the inside. It's our health set, mental or physical, getting in the way of us having the capacity to be able to do that. It's the friction and misalignment with our loved ones and our team members that can create the unnecessary friction that gets in the way of where we want to go. And so I have the great privilege of working with an amazing amount of leaders around the world to teach them how to use a practice that we call strategic solitude. How do you strategically, I mean, we do this in business all the time. We take out time and space to think about where we want to go, what we're going to go and do. I'm sure you help a lot of your clients with this in the context of your work. But more often than not, we do that really, really well in one area, like work, especially if you're an entrepreneur. But we don't necessarily have the discipline and the space to be able to apply that to our most important enterprise, our family, our life. And so that's the work that we do. We teach leaders how to use strategic solitude and much like health and well-being, you know, most people wait for pain to get to a nine out of 10 or a 10 out of 10 before they start leaning into those opportunities. And much of it is rehab. How do I fix myself to be back to a spot where I can continue to grow my business? Mm -hmm. I've been an athlete most of my life before I broke my neck and my back when I was 16. Um, And one of the still philosophies to this day, even as we've continued to get back into sport, is prehab. How do we proactively create the space to be able to take care of ourselves? How do we proactively create the space to reflect on those types of things? And the advantage there is, is rather than having space to talk about how we can fix things, we can talk about how we can make things better, how we can start to play in the margins, how we can enrich things, how we can look for returns that are beyond money um, in the work that we do and in the communities that we we play in. So happy to speak more about that. But that's a little bit more about what we do and and the nature of, of the work.
1: Yeah. wow that's amazing well i love I love the prehab I don't know if the, is that a real word it is oh, yeah. okay well
0: it's, it's it's well understood in the realm of sports, and I think um you know even if you look at the way I've done Ironman races a number of times, and i've I've watched a lot of my friends who are either a high level amateur or professional sports and um you know one of the things a principle that's well understood is the idea of periodization. Right. And periodization is so important because if you just have a race day and you put your head down and you're trying to push as hard as you can, maximum intensity until game day, like you're just going to find yourself at a fraction of your real capacity, uh, injured, fatigued, or in many cases disenfranchised because you've been working so hard. Where periodization is that oscillation between like really epic moments of training followed by intentional deep cycles of recovery to allow your mind, to allow your body to be able to process and absorb the training. And so the principle of prehab, we know it really well in sports. I mean, that's my background. My background is in, um, in sports science, kinesiology, um, and we really understand that well. But this is just a principle that we can also choose to apply to our relationships and to the way that we, most importantly, lead ourselves at the end of the day. So prehab is is definitely a practice. But I would say, like, like I mentioned, most people take a rehab approach Even if you look at our healthcare system, like, I'm just not looking at a fucking healthcare system, if you ask me, (laughs) right? But the disease care system is very reactive in that sense. Um, So for leaders who want to have it all, who want to have really great wealth and really great business, who want to have amazing relationships, I often say who want to have moments of effortless belonging, who really want to have great connection and want to have great health set, um, it requires a prehab approach Mm -hmm. to be able to do that well.
1: In case you missed it or you haven't heard me talk about it yet, I want to help you get more clients. I want to help you know how to close more deals, get more clients, make more money, and make this world a healthier place in the best way that you know how. And what I'm doing starting in July is I'm helping an intimate group of women master and book their discovery calls so that they can sign more clients. I'm going to teach you what you need to know about sales and how to enjoy it and have fun with it. I'm also going to teach you how and where to get those discovery calls. And then when you get them, exactly what you need to say on them so that you are closing them. You may not know this, but I'm an exactly what to say certified guide, which means I've got magic phrases to share with you and teach you so that you always know what to say in your conversations. And that is all a part of my next level sales group coaching program that starts in July. And I want you to be a part of it. If you are a woman who is a coach or service provider in the health and wellness world, I am talking to you. I want to help you get those clients. I want to help you bring in that money. I want to put you in a community of other women who are doing similar things as you so that you feel supported and encouraged. I want to help guide you on your path so that you know what to do, you know how to get those calls, and you know exactly what to say on them so that you feel confident, you feel good, and you feel excited about the fact that you are helping people and changing the health and wellness of this world. So go to the link in the show notes and get signed up for your next level today. I don't want you to miss out on this. This is the first time that I've made this a three-month container in almost a year. And I want you to think of this three-month container as like your sales boot camp. Like, let me hold your feet to the fire. Let me kick your butt. Let me take you through exactly what you need to do to set up your sales process so that it's wash, rinse, repeat, so that you always know where you can get calls and clients from. This is what this is all about, is stepping into your next level so that you actually understand that selling is fun. Selling is serving. Selling is helping somebody make a decision. And I want to give you the magic phrases and the tools that you need to help people make those decisions. All right, so go to the link in the show notes, get signed up, and welcome to your next level. Well, what came through for me too, and, and this is because, you know, I work with people that are health coaches, and what comes up for us a lot is like, you don't have to wait until you're sick to get healthy, and that was a part of my journey as well. When I changed my lifestyle, there were a lot of changes that I made, and, you know, my mom had breast cancer, both of my grandmothers had breast cancer, and I was like, well, I mean, let's be realistic here. What can I do so that I'm not a part of that same that same trend? because I don't want to, as much as I can help it, you know, on my own, because I don't want to end up in a hospital where I'm hoping a doctor can help me, right? I don't want to get, it, it is sick care. It's not healthcare. And what can I do on my end to preemptively take care of myself so that if I do, unfortunately, end up somewhere that I have put my body in a position to also help and support itself. And I'm not just hoping somebody can save me in that moment. So that's what came through for me, like the, you don't have to wait until you're sick. You don't have to wait until things blow up in your business to, to to go get help, to go learn how to be a better leader, right? We don't have to wait until things get so bad in order to make a change. But like you said, people are going to live with chronic pain because they familiarize the chronic pain, regardless of where it is, whether it's right. physical pain, emotional pain, mental pain, they've familiarized it, they're used to it, they've normalized it, and people are not going to move to get out of pain unless it's really bad. But it it doesn't have to get that bad before they do something about it.
0: Yeah, and there's ways to make it feel worse, to intentionally push yourself towards that, right? And often, to your point around not wanting to repeat cycles that, um, you know, in your family has been passed down from your grandmother to your mother and then to yourself, like, as soon as we start to look at what are those intergenerational patterns that you want to break and we make it not about ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, our behaviors all of a sudden seem to be a little more painful when we realize who we might be letting down who's not even here yet. Or for those of you who have kids, starting to look at it through that lens. Yeah. But I like your point. Like there's there's certainly a spectrum, right? And um waiting for a doctor to tell you what to do. I often I think it's a really good example. Um, waiting for for disease to be the trigger point for that. That's very much an approach that is like external leadership. You're waiting for external guidance. And no judgment, but certainly an observation that like m- most people do take that approach to their business, to their careers. They look for their manager, their leader, their coach to tell them what to do. And that's an okay place to start. But as far as achieving what we're talking about, which is um, kind of being rich on paper and and in life, um, it certainly requires a bit of a shift away from external leadership, rather than waiting for somebody to tell you what to do for your health set. There's a middle ground, which is participative, which is what you're kind of talking about, where you say, how can I posture my body to be doing what it can to be able to then engage and participate with external counsel and support, wonderful. And it also even further this idea of self leadership. How do I become the CEO of my own life? How do I take absolute personal responsibility for evaluating my experience and identifying where I have opportunities, and then creating an ecosystem of support around me? So it's certainly a spectrum. Does that make sense to you as I as I share that? Yeah.
1: Yeah, because I think, and, and you're right, there is a little bit of like, let me put out my hand. Like people need that sometimes, right? They need that initial guidance. They need that initial nudge. And so that first level that you explained makes sense, because sometimes it's like, ah, I wouldn't even know how to help myself right now. So I need that little like, hey, that hand is out. I'm going to I'm going to take it. And then there's that the second level with like, well, what can I do to be a participant in this? And then the third one is like the what, what I hear and tell me if this is right, is how do I trust myself? How do I own my own guidance, my own knowing? Of what I'm being told, what I'm not what I'm being told, but like I already have all the answers, everything that is inside of me. How do I trust that?
0: Yeah, you're you're hitting the nail on the head, right? And I think it's important for folks listening too. Like you can't skip steps. Mm-hmm. It's it's pretty dangerous, right? Like it, it going through that and seeing it as a progression and a grading that you move through is is great. Some people might start working with you because at the beginning they're like, Hey, I just started this business. I have no fucking idea how to sell. Can you show me? Awesome. That's that's wonderful. But then over time, you'll start to see, I'm sure with your clients, where they say, hey, I've done this for a few quarters. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I think I should do. What do you think? And now we're co-creating a pathway forward. But to your point around trusting your intuition, that knowing that's there, I love the word attunement, attunement. And for me, that's where strategic solitude is really important. Because if you think of attunement, standing with your heart set, your soul set, your mindset all those various different parts that make up how we lead and who who we are, it's difficult to access that moment by moment, day to day. I often use the metaphor Nicole of like if I were to ask you to pick a piece of rice out of a boiling pot of water, how do you think that would go? It'd go it would go terribly. You right. burn yourself well, and you probably say no, right? <laughs> well you'd probably say no. There you go. Um, but if you were to turn off the boiler and let the water settle, what happens to the rice? Well the rice settles. Right, and this is the idea of like of strategic solitude. We have to insulate ourselves. We have to find a way to, metaphorically, of course, turn off the boiler to be able to put ourselves in a position where we can actually listen, where the rice does sit on the bottom. And that's attunement. Attunement is where you can create that sense of connection with what's my external ecosystem, what's happening, what's happening to my internal marketplace, how am I feeling about this, and what are the opportunities that I'm starting to see. Between that and over time, that deliberate practice of attunement with self only begins to compound the amount of trust that you have. Mm -hmm. When you have high levels of trust, we don't doubt ourselves. (laughs) And that way, when you talk about growth in a business, that's where like velocity, speed inevitably starts to come as an outcome from that. But um, having the space and knowing what that practice looks like for yourself um, is really important to, to build that sense of attunement. Does that make sense to you? Yeah.
1: My question is, how do people get untuned or out of like out of the word that comes through for me is alignment? And I know it's not the same, but like how do people get to the boiling water part of the rice? How do they how do because we're we're born into this world with attunement, right? Like we are connected from the beginning. So what is it that gets people out of that, that stops them from trusting themselves, that makes them have to recondition back to or understand how to connect with that again?
0: Yeah, um, it's a really thoughtful question. My my perspective on this is as follows. It's that moment to moment, day by day, we always have choices, right? And we have choices to be able to express and be present in a way that's an expression of our true self, or we can deviate from that true self towards more of a strategic self, Right. And I often see this in really junior salespeople, where like they try and not—they're not even themselves in the conversation. They're trying to metamorphose themselves into into who they think should be there in that moment. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we take ourselves towards that strategic self, what we're doing is we're changing our behaviors. Where we're in that state of stress because what we're trying to orient ourselves towards is belonging, a sense of safety being able to get to agreement, avoiding conflict. So I think those innate human desires of belonging and the lack thereof and the choices that we make to kind of deviate from who we are to do that um, is where a lot of that suffering comes from. And I think that boiling pot of water is how I would describe it. It's, it's suffering that people are going through, but don't mistake me. Like I, I also don't want to paint the picture that there's this utopian that exists where you constantly live in a nice calm pot of boiling water and rice is always available. Like, the reality is you've heard this before, like you can go into the cave and meditate and have the ideal environment where things are always still, but my opinion, that's not why I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm here to be able to go and do the work that I do and be a demonstration of what that looks like outside in the world where the water is boiling. And so that's where, you know, if we want to be able to leverage that sense of attunement, you can't fucking leave that to chance. Right. Right. Like to me it was strategic solitude. Um, the first thing that goes in my calendar every single year is four days, one day every quarter that I carve out. I go to my favorite hotel. It's called the Alora Mill. And I go there by myself. I leave the kids behind. I leave work behind. And that's the first thing that goes in my calendar. I don't leave that to chance because I'm not strong enough to be able to remain connected with who I am, where I'm going in the day-to-day life like that's just the reality i got three kids i got a dog like you i got friends and and all the things that as a human pull me get me excited but also create that sense of boiling water so you have to put that in first you got to be really strategic and that's why we call it strategic solitude because you're not just going to hang on your own like you're going there for a reason yeah
1: i love that you said that thank you for saying that with the world around you, it's not possible for you to not go to the boiling pot of water place. And you need to take a step back and give yourself that time and space to be on your own. Because, you know, I think, and, and I know the word attunement, I, I love. And, and again, for me, it's like alignment. I could easily be aligned all day, every day, if I just sat here in isolation and meditated all day and didn't see anybody and wasn't around any agitating experiences. But the reality is we're not put on this earth to isolate. We're put on this earth to connect, to be around people, to have experiences, to connect in every way. And that's going to create some wonkiness sometimes. That's going to boil your water a little bit more and you're going to be off. You're going to be out of attunement. And so being very dedicated and intentional about that's the first thing you put into your year. Here are the four times I'm going to make sure that I have strategic solitude so that I'm connecting with me.
0: Yeah, and I I think to give a bit of a visual for that, um, you know, when you you talk about being out in the busy world and not being isolated, like, when you take strategic solitude, I refer to it as a homecoming of authenticity. Mm -hmm. It's a journey of coming home. And it's this lovely 13-inch journey that we take from our noggin all the way down to our heart. And it's just that ability to just, like, come back home, come back to where that is. And inevitably, you take that space and the next couple of weeks you feel great, but we send the float right back up to that very Western world, um, you know, perspective of over-intellectualizing things, overthinking things and losing that sense of alignment or or attunement. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, Yeah, because it happens so easily. I mean, you get a call from school and somebody, one of your kids got in trouble or whatever, or you get, you know, you, you take your dog to the vet because your dog's sick and it throws off your day and you had to cancel. An appointment. Like it's inevitable. There are things that are going to come up that are going to throw us off. And so what I'm hearing from you is it's our responsibility to be very intentional about knowing, Hey, how do I get myself back to that? How do I keep myself connected? Even knowing that it's going to get a little crazy at times.
0: Yeah. If, if you want that, if, if you're somebody who wants it all, then it is, imperative that you create that space. Mm. But that being said too, like I, one thing I've learned over the years is somebody who advocates for that type of a lifestyle and taking a very holistic perspective on what wealth means. And something I talk a lot about with leaders is and one thing I struggled with in the past when I built and sold my first business, the concussion toolbox is at that point in time for me, I wasn't ready for this because I had deeply connected my sense of self-worth with my net worth. And that's mm. all I wanted. All I wanted was money and that's fine. For some, like If that's what you want, that's, that's fine. This type of practice is not going to help you get there. In my experience, when you arrive at the destination and you realize how empty of a victory it is to achieve some of the success that you were looking out for, inevitably you have that shit moment where you're like, um, yep. There's more There's more there, what is that, that then this becomes an invitation and maybe a catalytic moment in time that allows somebody to shift their perspective, broaden their aperture in the way that they want to define what, what success looks like. But it's not for everybody, and I just share that really humbly up front because I've made the mistake years ago of trying to advocate that everybody has to do this, right? If, if you want this, it's available. But it's not something I like that, that I, I think we have to push on to everybody, and and even entrepreneurship being a really good example. How many times have you met a great guy, a gal who's super excited about their business, as they should be, but when they're talking to everybody else, they're like Nicole, like you should start a business. Yep. Oh, Brian, you should start a business. Have you thought about doing this? Yep. Some people don't want to, and that's fine.
1: Yep. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I had my own. Ex- well, I've had many experiences like that. But I remember when I first went uh, plant based years ago I was like oh my god I didn't know I could feel this good the whole world needs to do this and I was so convinced that they needed to and although a small part of me still thinks that people could definitely feel better if everybody but like it's not for everybody and it's not a reality is it a movement for some people absolutely is it something that a lot of people don't know about that could really benefit them that they'd be interested in absolutely but it's not for everybody. And it's for some of the people and the ones, you know, who are attracting that, that type of vibe will find their way there. And then there's people like me who spread it, you know, even more, but it's not, I appreciate that you said that it's not for everybody. And, you know, from a teaching perspective, I I was a high school teacher for 15 years and I used to feel that way about college. I, I went to college and I graduated and got a degree, but I felt like after 15 years as a high school teacher, I had enough students that like, they just weren't college people. And and they were being pressured. And it listen again, I have nothing against going to college. I went and I graduated, but it's not for everybody. And I feel like we kind of get hung up on like once we find something good, everybody's gotta do it. And,
0: and it, that's where I mentioned earlier this idea of an internal marketplace. I don't know if you caught me mentioning it, like this idea of an internal marketplace. Understands like who do you want to become? What do you want? This is often like a question that I'll ask. It's it's a it's a question that's an inch wide and a mile deep. Like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many people struggle to answer that question, right? Sometimes it's easier to answer the opposite. Like, what do you not want? Um, A little bit of an easier, easier starting spot, right? But that's where, in my experience, having space to be on your own and to be able to listen is where you start to deepen an understanding over time. Yeah. Um, and and you know, it's truly really if you if you want people to have what you have, the most important and meaningful thing that you can do is to continue to insulate the space that allows yourself to be consistent so you can be a walking demonstration of what it looks like to inspire somebody to move towards that rather than being somebody who, as we've learned from Phil, moves in with certainty that plant-based diet is the way to go, rather than focusing on you continuing to be consistent and being, like I mentioned, a walking demonstration of what's possible if you yeah. do that. I always Way like
1: say we're we're all walking permission slips. So I love like, that. Right. Like we're we're all just I'm giving somebody else permission. When they see me, I mean we're all just modeling through our actions what's yeah. possible for somebody else. And you know, we were talking earlier about like I think it was it was you and I on this conversation, little kids learning how to walk. Like why do little kids know that they that they can walk because they've seen other people doing it they've seen examples all around them we're all walking permission slips for one another so
0: mm, so well said
1: yeah yeah so and you mentioned something earlier and I I wanted to hit on this a little bit because I think this is probably part of your story you were very connected to your worth being associated with a, with wealth it sounds like and and then you got to a point where you were like you probably achieved the wealth, you achieved the number, you achieved the thing that you thought was gonna make you happy. And then it was like, holy guacamole, what the fuck happened? This didn't do what I thought it was gonna do. Is yep. that what led you into this business and doing this work with people? Yeah. That's where a lot of them have gotten to?
0: Not not initially, but looking back, it certainly was a form of experience in that. So would you like me to share a little bit about that, yeah, that journey?
1: Yeah, because I, I had a very similar I, I had the same thing I was like, Whoa, wait a minute, why did this not work the way I thought it would? And it's a that's a hard realization to come to.
0: Yeah, so so our stories are probably similar and different in many many ways. Um, for me, it's almost ten years ago where this this started. Right back in 2012, I remember, uh, as I mentioned, my original kind of vocation or, or interest was in in sports science, really specifically in brain injuries in sports and the impact that had on balance. And I ended up doing some research at the point in time in school. I learned pretty quickly that I'm a terrible researcher, but I'm really, really, really good at selling what we researched. (laughs) And so (laughs) with the the professor who was supervising my research, we got to some really cool outcomes. And I said to him, what do you say we go and sell this shit? Like, what's stopping us from building a company? Mm -hmm. And so we ended up building a company called the Concussion Toolbox. That's what like my monomaniacal obsessive focus was on for for two or three years and for context I live in Kitchener-Waterloo. Waterloo is kind of like the Silicon Valley of or or the Palo Alto so it's a better parallel to uh, in Canada and a lot of tech companies a lot of celebrated entrepreneurs here and so it was easy when you come back to this idea of like strategic self versus true self me like over indexing on work and really doubling down on that was certainly a way of me trying to create a sense of belonging and fitting in. Mm-hmm. But anyway, without digressing on that, I remember very vividly about two and a half, three years into that business coming home. And I walked in the front door and my my partner at the time was there saying there was her luggage. And truthfully, I had been on a vacation for a long time. I thought we were going somewhere. And I learned pretty quickly that she was actually waiting um, to see me because her mom was in the parking lot and she was leaving me. And that was like a heartbreaking experience for me, because well, for a number of reasons, one was like the total shock like i I literally walked in the door experiencing a sense of elation, like, oh my gosh, like I've been the dream of being surprised by a partner for this. How cool, And then to realize it was actually the antithesis of what you were looking for was heartbreaking. But I remember from there two weeks later, like i was I was pretty miserable i as you would expect. and Uh, it was in november i had a couple weeks where things were a little slower and i just decided to go to british columbia and snowboard for a week alone and then go to hawaii to Maui by myself for a week alone and i've never traveled alone for context i grew up in a family where we didn't have a ton of money i didn't really go on vacations ever but i was in a lucky spot just based on the success we were having in our business where i could i could go and do that i thought i was going to have a great time i found myself literally crying in my hotel room for like two weeks alone miserable and having a bit of a pity party and realizing I was becoming the very person I said I did not want to become. Mm. I grew up in a family where like, you know, it's no slight to my father, but he still to this day runs his own small business is at it seven days a week. And I remember growing up saying, I'm never going to be the dad who isn't there for the moments that matter, who isn't there for hockey, who isn't there to have dinner, um, and all those, all those pieces. And I remember crying over a Corona over lunch in Hawaii, and the cleaning staff lady, her name was Kina. I'll never forget her. It came up to me. And I think she thought I was allergic to something in my food. She said, everything okay? So I said, no, everything's not okay. And maybe you've had an experience like this, Nicole, where like you meet a stranger and all of a sudden you feel like you can tell them everything. Yep. And that's where I just kind of realized, I was like, I hate the business that I'm in. I hate the fact that I'm 50 pounds overweight and I won't even take my shirt off on the beach in Maui because I'm way too embarrassed about how I look. I'm miserable at the idea that I'm here in one of the most beautiful places on earth. And I don't even know what to do with my free time because I've never had free time. And I lost the person that I loved because of who I was in that moment and nothing to do with her. And that was a really important turning point for me where I really quickly had had realized that I was rich on paper, poor in life. And I remember going to the top of, for those who have been to Hawaii before, Haleakala, House of the Rising Sun, Great Volcano in, in Maui. Um, watching a sunrise with a with a question of what do I know I need to do but for whatever reason I'm I'm not ready and and I remember sitting there I I still have pictures of this to this day because it was so meaningful I remember realizing I need to call my dad it was the first time I haven't talked to him about seven years and um, I needed to find a way to exit that business it wasn't for me the business was working but like business day fit it, it wasn't there. Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning of a, of a journey for me, Nicole, where I realized, wow, like I am obsessively focused on generating my net worth as a way for validating my sense of self worth. But at what cost? And the cost was obvious to me then. Yep. So that's where I started to kind of look at, like, how do I make sure I never have this happen again? How do I, how do I make sure, like, I'm, I'm not taking another flight and, like, next time I come home and hopefully my partner has the bags packed, I'm going with them.
1: <laughs> and uh, that we're going on together.
0: Exactly. And so that's where I started to look at other examples because um, people have this figured out. Right. And I'm a big, big believer of, of starting to, to learn from others and to look at those examples and maybe take what's done in business and apply it to personal life. Because I started to reflect like, I'm really, 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 really good at doing this in my business, like really good. But why do I fuck this up on my personal life? Like, how, how can I be so good here and so terrible at this here? And that's when I came across Corporations. I shared a little bit of this with you when we were in New York City together. But B corporations are really neat for those of you who have never heard of them before. A couple examples of B corporations would be companies like Patagonia, as an example, who are really committed to a triple bottom line. Their balance sheet is oriented around profit 100%, but also people and planet. And what's really cool about B corporations is that they acknowledge that there are non traditional currencies that are worth building wealth in. And that when you have a values based approach like that of profit, people, planet, It challenges management team to make investment decisions that are growing profit and people and planet at the same time, or put differently, a growing profit in a way and a strategy that is at least not making a negative impact on the people and their planet, which is really thoughtful. So that's where I started to ask myself, like, well, if I were to evaluate my net worth through this lens of a triple bottom line right now, I got a whack of money here. And I got no house set, like I I couldn't do this for another 15 years if I wanted to, based on the way things are going. Mm -hmm. And I certainly don't have a community of effortless belonging right now. And when I go against challenge, I push people away from myself, I don't bring them in. So how rich am I? Mm -hmm. And that was the kind of foundation that was laid for myself, Nicole, where I said, okay, that's my lens, I'm gonna choose like at the world going forward. I'm gonna start to think about like, how can I build my business? and use my business as a vehicle to also build good relationships and to also make sure that I have the health set to do this for 30 fucking years, not for 30 days. <laughs> and that was a huge kind of like twist in, in, in the story for me, but that's not where I started my business. So any questions on that so far? i I got a few more small. I am, here to kind of I explain am in to love with
1: the non-traditional currencies phrase, because I think that that is, so important for people to understand everything that you said. Yes. Like you couldn't keep doing it because your health was not in the right place. You weren't building relationships through your business. You were pushing people away. Like, so what were you really, like, what did you really have? And I think we get so accustomed to like money's everything. We get so connected to money is currency. Money is the currency. And it's not because like you said, what do you really, and and that's a very similar part of my story. I got to the point, I, I had all the money. I didn't have Well, mine was similar. And and like you said, a little different. I had the life. I was traveling. I was doing all the things and but but wasn't happy. And and there were some non-traditional currencies that were missing from that that was creating that experience for me. So I I really just love that phrase that you use, because I think it's so important. Wealth is not just money. There are so many other currencies that are more valuable.
0: And I think in today's time, like more than ever, there's an appreciation for this, but there's not a framework. There's not a way of thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And especially when you think about families, imagine a husband and wife who have two very different ways of thinking about what their values are. Mm -hmm. I think there are many times I've seen this and, you know, I was just having a husband and wife couple away for for a couple of days, a few weeks ago, who are selling their business together, but also on the brink of divorce. And it's like, well, a big part of this is because y'all don't have the same balance sheet here. We're, we're not putting resources behind some other things, or at the very least, we don't at least understand. Like if you and I were in partnership together, what are your, what's your triple bottom line and what's mine? Because much like B corporations, please don't misunderstand it. The idea of non-traditional currencies—it's not too prescribed to you, Nicole, that yours has to be wealth, health, set, and relationships. Those are values that make sense to me. I would encourage anybody who's listening to this and this clicks is to say, well, adopt that before you adapt it. But there's also an invitation there to say, like, maybe faith is a really, really, really big currency for you. Wonderful. Maybe learning and development is another really big one where you want to make sure that the investments you're making are cultivating that sense of personal growth. It can be different, just like I adapted the idea of a B Corporation to the framework that we use now for this triple bottom line with our clients.
1: I was just going to say, one of one of mine that I've recently realized more than ever over the last year, you know, I've been on this journey of, like, just being free and traveling And I don't think this was lost on me before. I just don't think I was completely aware that freedom is my number one value. And when I find myself tied to something, Mm -hmm. like even my business, sometimes I'm like, wait, I'm not experiencing freedom right now. I have put so much, I'm doing more than what I really want to do, and it doesn't feel free to me. So to me, that's a currency, a non traditional currency that I need to, it's one of my triple bottom line values that I really want to make sure that I'm, that I'm, intentional about
0: totally and we talk intentional about like one of the things that's really interesting about um strategic solitude if i could speak to that before sharing a little bit more about how i kind of came into this work and i'll try and dovetail it well together is like there are sometimes seasons Mm
1: -hmm.
0: there there are quarters or seasons that go by where like for example i just had a little guy two years ago that's a season for like three or six months where like the amount of time and energy that I want to invest in my business or my health set kind of is all of a sudden second or third fiddle. Like it's, it really, in that season and that was a conscious choice was that, Hey, I want to really prioritize my time with my little one. Don't get this chance very often um, in life and it comes and goes really quickly. And it's okay to have seasons like that. Or with Jen, my wife, there are seasons where we did Ironman racing where like for the quarter or two leading up to that, health set investments in that were like, were number one, they were more than family. But here's the mistake that most people do, is that they don't build a rhythm and have a cadence to be able to adjust towards those seasons. And so they have this expectation they put on themselves that they have to be full throttle on all areas. That's not a healthy or a sustainable approach. But here's an even bigger idea, is that with your team members and with your most important relationships, one of the biggest mistakes that we do is that while work might be a big focus, and I've seen this before with husband and wives, where you start a new business and you're really focusing on it to get it up and off the ground, amazing. It's okay for that to be the number one focus and to put your health set and relationships back a little bit. But most people steal, they don't borrow.
1: Hmm. Tell me more. What does that mean?
0: So if you think about this, with the example I gave you with Jen. Hey Jenny, the next three or six months, what's really important to me, is to get ready for this race. I want to proactively talk about the next couple of quarters are coming forward. Is it okay with you if that's the one priority? I like to borrow a little extra time. Are you okay to take care of the kids and to mm-hmm. make sure dinner's ready? And, um, you know, do you mind picking up a few of these things to be able to support me? Can I borrow a little bit of your time and energy and your capacity, right? Mm-hmm. See where I'm going with this? Yeah. Borrowing, there's an agreement. And sometimes borrowing means you have to pay it back. Other times there's lovely things called grants. Grants are awesome, little, you know, <laughs> Yeah. Hey, all good. I got you. Only pay you back. No, no problem at all. Yeah. But most people steal. And I remember, I remember this conversation it was a yesterday. I was chatting with a friend of mine, Mitch, who runs a really amazing commercial real estate company. And we were talking about this idea of a triple bottom line. And to his credit, he he came up after in tears, and he said, "I had this realization that like, not only do I understand my life through this lens differently mm-hmm. when I look at non-traditional currencies, but I have not been borrowing for my wife. I've not had explicit communication." Five years ago when I started this brokerage, we talked about the startup and the importance of that. That was five fucking years ago. I'm not borrowing. I'm stealing. There's no explicit communication. I'm taking away from her. I'm taking for granted. And this is my point about like the importance of managing the intersection of business and family and that type of stuff often being what undermines our intentions and our aspirations to go and grow that thing is because we find ourselves unintentionally, permission to be human, stealing, not borrowing. Does this make sense? Absolutely. And- and same thing from health set. Like, uh, surely a lot of a lot of your clients, like, there's probably that realization. I'm sure with a lot of your coaches who you're working with and people who are supporting women to invest in their health set. Many of them are probably in a position where, for whatever reason, they had kids, they decided to start a business, their mom and dad died, like whatever that moment was that pushed health down the list. Mm-hmm. It was fair. It made sense in that moment. Mm-hmm. but they didn't make an arrangement in a borrowing arrangement with themselves to say, hey, while mom's sick and just have a stroke for the next three months, it's okay, I can I can focus on just maintaining my health or maybe even just letting it go a little bit. It turns into stealing where over time it's three, four, five years down the road and you haven't come back to that. Right.
1: Yeah. Right? Do yeah. you see the
0: difference there in the distinction between borrowing and stealing?
1: Yeah, and it's it sounds to me like part of it is awareness and part of it is a conversation.
0: That's where strategic solitude is the conversation with self to first be clear what makes sense and then being able to converse with others from a place of knowing where that came from. That wasn't an insight or decision that you made with the boiling pot of water. You can trust that that's right for you because you've slowed down. You've been able to develop a sense of alignment and attunement Mm -hmm. to check in with that. And it's okay. it doesn't mean you always need to go back on those types of things, but at least understand where am I at now? What's next? Right. What's the right next thing?
1: Well, cause that's where it creates resentment and like in the other person, they feel manipulated. They feel, you know, and, and, and I mean, listen, there's there, it, it's a two way street here, obviously. Um, But yeah, the stealing piece can, can be really damaging in so many areas in so many ways.
0: Oh, absolutely. And a question I love to ask to partners is what part of you does your partner not see? Mm. And when there's a lot of stealing on the go, oh boy, is that ever a good question? Because again, it's not from a place of being defensive, right? And saying like, what part, what is your partner not doing to help you? All those types of things. It's what part of me do you maybe not see? Mm -hmm. Right? And
1: is that that physically, like when I'm at work, you're not seeing me do this? Or is it you're not, I don't feel seen for this thing.
0: Well, it can be both. Like there's no reason why it can't be both. Like I I I think your example of the physical, like I'm you're you're out meeting with clients, 6 p.m. What you don't see is me at home cooking dinner and making sure that the kids are going to soccer and tucked into bed. right? regardless if that's husband or wife, whatever the dynamic is, there's there's that right. part of it. Right. There's also you know there's there's also the 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 invisible piece of that which is you don't see somebody who's given up their career to have kids over the last 4 years who is desperately looking to go back on the playing field and wants to go and contribute in a way that's really exciting to them what you don't see is somebody who wants to go and sign up to do soccer at the age of 42 because they've missed playing sport what you don't see is somebody who um loves playing music and hasn't had the time to even go and listen to live music because we've been so busy So that's also a part of it, too, is like in that in that sense, what are the desires? What are the things that you're aspiring for that people don't know about?
1: Right. Wow. Oh, that's such a powerful question. Hey, if you want to know exactly what to say so that you are getting more clients, I have a free gift for you and you do not want to miss out on this. It is a list of 32 magic phrases and these magic phrases are going to completely change the way you have conversations and they are going to give you the outcomes you want more often from those conversations just by using these 32 magic phrases and I'm giving them to you for free. Maybe you know, maybe you don't, but I recently became an exactly what to say certified guide, which means that's exactly what I teach my clients is exactly what to say so that they have more influence, more impact, and they get the outcomes that they want more often from their conversations. Meaning they get more clients because they know exactly what to say. And I want you to have these phrases as well because they're super powerful. And I want you to get out there and use them because I know it means a lot to you to make this world a healthier place. These phrases are going to help you do a lot more of that. So go to the link in the show notes, get it downloaded and start using those phrases. And and is that something that people ask themselves too? Like, what am I not allowing myself to see about myself?
0: Yeah, I, I ask the question personally to myself a little bit different. I, I I would often ask the question, like if I was to play full on mm. and I didn't worry what other people thought, who would the world see? And mm. so that's, that's more of, of the angle that I would take personally is like, is that kind of self-talk and self-dialogue? It's like, if I was to fully show up, what would people see they don't see right now?
1: Mm-hmm. Right. And then that gives you clarity on where you're moving towards, who you're becoming.
0: Yeah, exactly. Who you want to become. Right. And again, it's it's the, there can be massive, and here's the whole idea about rehab or prehab. You have this type of a conversation. And the context is, is that you've been overlooking a lot of this for five, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. It can be a pretty painful experience, like my Hawaii journey. Because mm-hmm. there's a bit of debt you kind of gotta get yourself out of, right? There's a bit of rehab. Mm-hmm. But by committing to asking those types of questions with consistently and regularly having space to go and do that, and I'd love to talk before we wrap up. Don't let me forget around like how do you actually make sure you fall through on that space? That's a really important part. Mm-hmm. But when you do that and you shift over to more of a prehab piece, the learning that you start to have about yourself. Because mm-hmm. now it's not a place like, what do they not see? Because I've been like Suffering and ashamed to be able to share these types of things. Haven't forgiven myself. When you're back to a spot where you're really starting to make those right investments and are taking a holistic approach, now all of a sudden you're like getting into some interesting stuff.
1: Yeah. You're
0: like, wow, like okay, who do I want to be remembered as, and what do I really want this business to look like? If I was to never sell this business and I was to do this forever, how would I do it all differently? Um, you start to ask different questions that are, in my opinion, um, not more exciting, but are a little bit more, well, alluring, right? Like it, it, it starts to draw you in rather than being something that you're kind of like running away from.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, it's more of yeah. I, I, I like to say like I want to be running towards something, not away from something. And it, it just it generalizes the like. Well, what's my legacy? How do I want to be remembered? How do I want to be seen? And is the life that I'm living right now allowing that to happen? And what else needs to be put in place if it's not?
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's a process, right? It's a continual process. So that for me coming back from Hawaii was an aha moment in recognizing that. But next step from there was I came back and then I really didn't know what I wanted to go and do at that point in time. I ended up selling the business, got out of it, um, reconnected with my dad. And the university here in in Waterloo asked me to run their entrepreneurship center as a non-business student who was able to build and sell a company from the science part of the school. Um, to work with faculty and students who wanted to create a business to see, is this idea actually a business or is it just a cool idea? Mm-hmm. So I ended up doing that for about two or three years. I had the pleasure mm-hmm. of studying with some great leaders down at Stanford to learn this process of new venture creation. And then um, in Canada, we have something called RICS, Regional Innovation Centers. And they're kind of unique to Canada where, you know, much like our healthcare, a lot of stuff is publicly funded. They have these innovation centers that are like big clubhouses, if you will, for entrepreneurs to come to and to build their business and at that point in time here in waterloo we have the world's largest corporate innovation hub which is just where bigger companies like big banks automotive companies like gm um, and others come to be able to build up teams to build new businesses and so anyway i remember being asked to come over and build that business and to work with executive teams and leaders to think through that strategy and do that work and do that training and that coaching and it was interesting because I, I didn't mind it. Like it was good to go away and do that type of work, but I would always over dinner find myself having a glass of wine and quietly having a chat. You know, you can meet like the one or two people when you're away, right. And those types of experiences and you really connect with them. And I would often ask, Hey, like we spent like 50 or 75 grand here to come to this hotel between all of us and the airplanes and the fees and yada, yada used to be able to work on this really cool venture that we're doing. Like when was the last time you spent that amount of fucking time and money and energy mm-hmm. on, on yourself? Yep. And that's where all of a sudden I started to realize like the eyeballs started to get open and leaders are like, "Ooh, <laughs> well, uh, good question. What's for dessert? And that's where, again, it's not for everybody, but for those that I really started to click with, I would often be asked, hey, like, can you stick around for an extra day? Mm-hmm. And can you lead our team through a conversation about how they can set up their personal lives to have the environment so we can go and do this work? And that was the beginning of the work I do now at Threshold. Um, and little that I know at that point in time, I would take people away for strategic planning and bolt on solitude at the end to help them do that work. And then one thing kind of led to another. And we've now built um, a really, really meaningful bit, coaching business around that. So that's kind of the, the journey that got there. But can I share with you really quickly a story, Nicole, about like the moment I, made the jump from leaving my consulting practice into into the coaching business because i think it's be relevant for your listeners who either like are just starting a business or like are moonlighting a little bit and kind of doing both
1: please share this will be definitely of service to them because um many of them are in that exact position
0: mm-hmm. and it's especially when you're in the early stages of trying to get like five seven ten grand months and not even just like hitting that but like doing it consistently to give yourself the confidence to go do the fucking thing right like, I, I think that's very much who, who's maybe listening. So I remember um, it was about two years into this consulting practice. And, and again, I'm just using corporate innovation consulting as a loose way to describe that. I remember being in Toronto in a room with about 100, 100 business leaders at a at a conference. And this really amazing guy, Philip was um, at the front of the room. And he said, who here knows the need to do something? But for whatever reason, they're not they're not ready to do it. And I was like, boy, that's a familiar question. Like, I've thought about that one before. Um, and I put my hand up and he said, what's going on? And I said, well, I know that I really want to do this consulting work. I mean, I'm not this consultant, I want to do this coaching work. And for many years, I've hidden behind these corporate innovation and consulting frameworks. But I have this, like, coaching business that I know I want to do. I already have it kind of built out, but I'm I'm kind of scared to go and, and do this. And he says, okay, um, how painful is it? How painful is your consulting gig, And I was like, well, to be honest with you, like if we're talking a scale of 10 here, solid three or four. Like it's, it's, it's not that bad. I get to travel much like you did, Nicole, kind of had the life paid exceptionally well, do hard work. All good. So great. Well, I want you to think about somebody that really matters to you. Say, okay, yeah, I got it. And who is it? It was Quinn. This is my my eldest daughter. She was nine at the time. It was about five years ago. And, uh, he says, OK, so imagine that in 10 years from now, Quinn comes up to you and says, Dad, like, I really hate this fucking biology degree that I'm in school with. Like, I think I want to go and ship over to fine arts. What would you say? Well, like any great parent. I was like, well, I'd tell her we're doing it right away and there's no time like today and let's finish our commitments. That's a big thing for me. Like, if you're committed to finishing a term, we finish the term. Mm-hmm. But let's go on and make that change. And this is the power of a great coach. He said, well, you have two options and you can either wait 10 years to have that conversation. Mm. Or you can start leading by example right now so that you never do. Or when you do have that conversation, Quinn's not going to roll her eyes at you and say, yeah, dad, because you followed your dreams. Because you wanted to do the work that was important to you and you did it. And that's a great example of like pain going from a three to an 11 really quickly because it wasn't about me all of a sudden. It's like, who's watching? Where am I going? And I remember right after that, I came home and, um, you know, the executive that I was building this corporate innovation business underneath of. I pulled him aside and I said, hey, man, just want to let you know in nine months from now, it's going to be my last day. He's like, what? Nine months? Like most people give me the two weeks. I'm like, look, I don't even know what I'm doing in nine months. All I know is that I need to do it. <laughs> and I'm just letting you know in nine months, that will be my last day. And it was amazing from doing that, two things happened. I was able to exit so gracefully, Mm -hmm. so gracefully. And I was so proud of the way that went. Um, And in addition to that, like, because I made that decision, my attention, my efforts, the business, the clarity that I needed, it all started to come together. Right. And in the absence of clarity, always take action. And that Mm -hmm. was the action that I needed to take to be able to begin the journey of putting myself in a position where I had to go Um, right and you can tell like it wasn't a logical thing it wasn't like am I going to have the right business plan how am I going to sell the coaching services like if you're concerned about that that's all shit that's been solved like that's not the hard stuff yeah it's the emotional piece of and this was the big one for me was wow I can't hide behind communitech corporate innovation yep people can't say oh Dave we didn't like the session but we like you I was putting myself in a position where I had to be the guy right in the center. And if you didn't like the work, you didn't like me. And I was terrified of that.
1: Yeah.
0: So I just wanted to share that as a bit of like really granular, honest look into like a transition point and some of the like really important moments that mattered to shift that, that, that kind of change. But I also find that's helpful from what I hear from people when I share that where, like most of us think, we have to just hard fast stop, and we're like, we have to give like a month notice and kind of go all in and burn the bridge behind us. Right. And that wasn't my experience.
1: I think that that's really powerful, and I'm glad you shared that. I'm curious, and I want to ask about the nine months. But I I want to also comment on there's a book that I read once by Liz Gilbert. It's called Big Magic, and she talks about not putting the burden on your dream. To support you until it's ready, and so giving yourself that time and space, like knowing that that's your dream, knowing that that's what you want to do, and that's kind of what I what I heard in in your story, and allow you know you're going there, move in that direction, allow yourself to move there, but don't don't burden it right off the bat. The other thing that I really liked because I remember you and I talking in New York and you shared that story with me. I talk a lot about that when my clients are like. I'm really scared to do this but i want to do it well many of them have kids or they have people in their lives that that look up to them and i'll say the same thing like well do you want your kids to believe that they can do anything that they want to do oh yeah they can well they're not going to believe that unless they see you doing it right it goes back to what we said earlier we're all walking permission slips for one another and there are people watching you and how do you want them to live their lives and whatever that answer is is how you need to be living yours right now yeah so, so really quickly, before we wrap up, I just want to know what was the, so I, I totally respect and understand giving yourself the time. Cause I did the same thing, not willingly, but I was like, if I want to start this business, you know, I was in same thing. I was in my corporate job. It was really comfortable. It was really comfortable to stay there probably three or four on, on the pain scale. I didn't want to be there anymore, but it was comfortable <laughs> enough. the money was good. I was, I was good at it. It was just like, okay, cool. And I was like, I'm just going to quit. And fortunately I had, you know, the, the voice of reason talking to me about it. Well, why don't you just build in, like, start doing this on the side, like, you know, and give yourself some time. And interestingly enough, it's how I've made every other change in my life. That's why my business is called Healthy Steps with Nicole, because everything I did, I did in phases. I did over time. It wasn't just, uh, you know. um. But but then when you do finally make the jump, it still feels scary. It's the, the final official thing. So I gave myself a couple of years. I think I started my business in 2018. I left officially in 2020. What was, but i I respect how you did it, though, too, because it's like my last day is going to be in nine months. So it's almost like you've said it out loud. You're holding yourself accountable because other people now know what you've said. Was there any rhyme or reason to the nine months? Where did that timeline come from?
0: Yeah. so I guess there's kind of two parts to your to your question that I can answer. One is like the very practical why nine months? why 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 nine, not seven. Yeah. And then there's like, why did you choose that strategy for mm-hmm. yourself, right? So the nine-month piece, looking back very pragmatically, it was it was twofold. It was, I probably had six months of client work still in front of me, okay, right? So, and these were relationships that I really, really cared about. And truthfully, selfishly, I knew that if I did it right, I could actually piggyback on those accounts and start to do my leadership work <laughs> inside those companies. So if I was just like, see you later, I'm done wouldn't have been a thoughtful strategy so it was like how do i sunset this in a way that has a tremendous amount of reverence and respect for those relationships and doesn't put um my team because we were a small team we have only three three consultants at the time that i was leading um high and dry right so that was a that was certainly a part of it as well and then the does that make sense as far as like timing wise like that was that, that was, truthfully was was the real real honest reason um and then The strategy, like, why did I put it out so far? Because I could have done the same thing with 12 months. Like, the whole point, though, was, like, pre-establish a transition point that you had to land a plane in. Mm -hmm. And it just came from a tremendous amount of self-awareness, truthfully, where, like, I know I am at my – I'm the guy you want on the field with you or in a business with you when we are fourth quarter, two minutes on the board, and we're down. That is exactly where I always play my best. And so I knew I was like, cool, how can I recreate that circumstance where I know I do really, 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 really fucking well. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it was me trying to shift the scoreboard for my income to start to match or surpass what I was currently making as a consultant over that time. Mm -hmm. So I was like, great, like we are in the fourth quarter, we have nine months on the board, different time variable than most sports, but you get my point, right? And that's where I was like, okay, like I know that if I put myself in this position, if I don't and the game just keeps going on and on and on and I'm waiting, I'm not going to have the pressure to be able to make this play. So that was it came just from a tremendous amount of self-awareness. But truthfully, like having people in my corner who knew me well enough to say, hey, when in the past have you made a really good transition? When in the past have you done this? I'm like, oh, yeah, I. That's how I did it. Okay, how can I apply that here? Here's how I can apply that here. And it was important to me, like high values to me going into that was like have this exit be a moment to exemplify my character. Mm -hmm. And so that was another part of that too was like give those nine months that I could be really proud personally about the exit and transition, but know that if I was proud of that, the people around me who supported me and who I would hopefully do business with in the future would also be quite proud of that.
1: Right, very mindfully strategic.
0: And again, it doesn't happen when you are flying by the seat of your pants and the water is boiling and the rice is boiling. Right. So let's go back to the premise of this conversation, right. having that space to be able to say, no, like that's that's right for me. And most people would look at that and say, I couldn't do nine months. I would be checked out after three months. Awesome. So that's not your strategy. You
1: know Yourself. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's incredible. I love that. Thank you for sharing that, because I know that that's really helpful, because there's a lot of people that are listening to this that are in that position, like, when do I leave? When do I make the jump? And I think you just answered that very, very well with your story, but also by pointing it back to people. Know yourself. If, If it wouldn't work for you in nine months and you'd be checked out in three months or three days, then that's not your timeline. And what is yours? And that's up to you to know by being attuned with yourself and your own um, inner knowing of what's best for you.
0: Mm-hmm. So I know I'm mindful of time. Maybe one thing to speak to as we wrap is like, how do you actually make sure you like this whole idea of strategic solitude, cool in theory, but like reality is, is, you have customers. There's no shortage of reasons to not go and take a day or two for yourself. Right. So I thought this might be a good place to kind of land it. If it's okay with you is, um, you know, I know a lot of your coaches are really committed to their own well-being. Mm-hmm. I sure would hope. Yes. Right. <laughs> like, yeah.
1: I tell if you're not doing that, then you are out of integrity with what you're selling. Like you are not aligned with your values, and that's uh, really wonky for people. And you're not going to make sales if you're not do. You'd only take a client as far as you've gone yourself.
0: Ex- well said. Well said. So, you know, I I would often find leaders that I would work with, and even myself. Like you could even go as far to book the hotel room at the beginning of the year. And inevitably if it's just you going to spend time alone in a hotel like it's exciting and it's fun but it certainly doesn't beat the importance of a client meeting closing business or at least in my mind right like those are two pretty competing odds so here's the big idea is using adventure and awe as the worm on the hook to get you there so i'll just give you a really quick example um i love the laura mill i shared that with you it's my favorite hotel The Allura Mill doesn't get me there. What does is I create an experience of adventure and offer myself that I start that time with. That's so fucking exciting for myself that I would literally like I would bend over backwards to make sure that my calendar is cleared. My kids are taken care of. And so for me, that looks like I love fly fishing, Um, setting up a chartered fly fishing trip, a guided trip. Now it's like, cool, like I'm 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 going to go Fishing today, I'm so busy, like I cannot wait to go and have that adventure and awe. Or in the past, like we've done other really fun adventures, um, like grabbing some of those like side by side cars and going to the desert, like adventures you want to go and do. Yep. Things that invest, it's an expression of an investing in your own health set, move your body, get outside, adventure and awe. And if you create it to be exciting enough, you'll always go. And what I've often found is, to my point earlier about the homecoming of authenticity, being able to go and take yourself on an adventure, whether it's backcountry skiing or fly fishing or shit. Like if you want to go to an art gallery, you love (laughs) art and that's your thing. Awesome. Use that as the worm on the hook. Use that as the bait to get you there because that'll motivate you and and challenge you to protect that space far more than a really nice hotel is. And the beautiful thing is, is when you take that space for yourself, who shows up when you sit down with that pen and that piece of paper afterwards? That's the Nicole that shows up when you close your laptop tonight, when you put your feet up and you got your dog on your lap. Like the Nicole that many of us have come to know, but not the Nicole that's always there day to day. It's that quiet part of ourselves that is available, but we have to create that space. So use adventure and awe as the reason for going, but the reason why you keep coming back is because of the space and the clarity and the alignment that you can afford from taking that. So for those of you who thought well, this was a neat idea, but hard to follow through on, um, that's often the one kind of fail point that I often see in a lot of this. And that's why a lot of leaders trust us to guide them through it because we create those types of experiences for our clients um, to, to make it fun and make it great. But that's one piece if you're thinking of creating a space for yourself is um, start it all with adventure and all. Let that be what excites you enough to go and take the space. Right. Create the bait. Create the bait. I love that. There you go. Create
1: create the bait so you'll actually show up and do it. Yeah, because I mean, people will find their excuses for, oh, something came up or, oh, I got invited to do this thing or, oh, I got. You can find a million excuses and you will. But create the bait to make sure you show up because it's probably the most important thing that you can do. Well said, well yeah. said. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Dave. This has been, I, I could keep going and going and talking to you. I say that all the time because I just love the guests that I have on. You have been one of the incredible ones for sure. Where can people find you? Because I'm sure that they're going to want to connect with you.
0: Yeah, I'm on Instagram a ton. So it's just at Dave underscore English underscore. And uh, I'm on LinkedIn too, quite a bit. If you're interested in some of the work that we do, you can just go to thresholdleadership.co. Um, There's actually a really cool little playbook on there, Nicole, that people can download to help them evaluate their triple bottom line and to think about this type of work. So that's on there. A handful of really good questions that I like to give leaders, too, and they take space for themselves. So that's where you can find me and always happy to connect with anybody who wants to reach out directly.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll make sure that we put all that in the show notes as well. So if you do want to connect with Dave, which I'm sure you do, go to the show notes um, and you'll be able to find all of that information there as well. So. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. This is amazing, and I appreciate everything you shared.
0: My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you soon, Nicole.
1: Yes. Bye. All right. That is a wrap for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And by the way, if you like this, subscribe because there's more good stuff coming your way. Also,